Welcome to the South Edmonton Church of Christ Wednesday Bible study of the book of Hebrews. In this video, we're mainly going to be in Hebrews chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at Christian maturity and really what that, what that looks like in the church and what that should look like uh, in the church. However, as oftentimes is the case, uh, we need to back up into the last few verses of chapter 5 in order to uh, get you know, a better context of what's going on here. So let's do that right now. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. We read this. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary teachings of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So here, the, uh, the author of Hebrews is kind of getting on to his audience, though I, I want to uh, make mention of you a little bit later, um, make mention to you a little bit later. We see that, yes, he's giving this warning, but just because you warn somebody about something doesn't mean that they're automatically just always doing everything wrong. Um, you know, for, for example, you know, if you have a friend who has, uh, you know, some problem, uh, just because you address that problem with that friend doesn't mean that everything that they're doing is wrong. Or maybe the reverse of it could be true, that uh, perhaps you have a close friend who is addressing some problem that you yourself have. That doesn't mean you're doing everything wrong. It just means you perhaps need to work on something. I mean, don't we all? Um, so here in this passage, what he is telling them, and at first he uses strong language. I'll give you that. He uses very strong language, talking about how, look, you ought to be teachers by now, but you're not. You need this milk, not the solid food. Well, I'm not going to be pointing fingers right here, but at the same time, I want us to ask the question, you know, of, of ourselves, each one of us ask it of ourselves, are we the type of people that he's describing? You know, are we ones who, by now, we should be teachers? However, we ourselves are the ones who need to be taught. And in fact, we're not even on solid food yet. We're just on spiritual milk. When you see that in a person, uh, you know, it's pretty clear to be able to see, okay, they're eating milk or, or they're eating solid food. However, spiritually speaking, sometimes it's harder. Uh, also, you, you might start wondering, so what's the difference? You know, what is the milk of the word as opposed to the solid food of the word? Because the milk isn't bad. It's just supposed to get you started. It's supposed to help you grow. But after you grow, you don't go back to the milk. You, you stick with that solid food. The only reason why you go back to that milk as a, as a main uh, substance in your diet is, um, well, really, whenever you yourself have children or are raising children, uh, then in that sense, you go back to the milk and you help them to grow. Um, so that, that's one way that, spiritually speaking, we go back to the milk. Yes, we do because we've got to teach the next generation of Christians, so to speak. Um, even though whenever it comes into spiritual matters, that next generation of Christians, that person might, in a physical sense, be older than you. But if you've been a Christian longer, then you're the one who needs to help teach them. So it's, it's kind of interesting how that works. But welcome to the, the church. That's just sometimes 
uh, you know, we call one another brothers and sisters, even though our ages don't always match. But, you know, we're not talking about a physical family. We're talking about the spiritual family. So here, um, how do we how do we get to that point? Well, verse 14 tells us that solid food, how we get there is by constant use of being trained in this way or training ourselves rather to distinguish good from evil. Now, I don't know uh, if I'm getting perhaps a little bit off topic in, in looking at this, but it specifically says there about distinguishing between good and evil. I find it interesting that one of those trees that they were not supposed to eat from was the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. However, now things have changed because that fruit has already been introduced into humanity because that knowledge of good and evil has already been introduced into humanity, now it actually means that we are more mature if we distinguish between the good and the evil. Um, you know, after all, that's just kind of part of what it means to be a Christian. It's part of what it means to, to follow Jesus is that we can distinguish between what is good and what is not good. And we choose to do good. We choose to be people who are surrounded by good. That's what we're called to be. So now uh, let's dive into chapter six, and we're going to see a little bit more about this Christian maturity and what it means for us, and also perhaps what it might look like. Hebrews chapter six, the first three verses kind of gives us a little bit of a working definition. We'll go with that and dive into each one of these topics just briefly. The Hebrew writer says, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken toward maturity not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. So in these first three verses here, if you wanna know what's the difference between the milk of the word and the meat of the word, you wanna know the difference between that? Well we kind of get a little bit of a definition, sort of a little bit of categories of what these elementary teachings are. So I, I guess these, these might be a pretty good place to start with a new Christian or somebody who is um, perhaps thinking about being a Christian. Maybe some of these things in this list are, are good things to talk about. Um, however, maybe some of them um, are, are more relevant to us than, than others. Keep in mind, this was written to the, the Hebrews, and I can't help but think that uh, these these Christians who come from this Hebrew background, um, they might have a few different questions and a few different kind of things that they were thinking about before becoming uh, a Christian than what, you know, just kind of the average person that we might come in contact with today. Uh, because most of the people that we are going to be um, talking to and they might be thinking about becoming a Christian, they probably aren't coming from a Jewish background. Uh, and, you know, if they do, I don't know, maybe this list would be a perfect one to look at. So let's look at this list here. So what are these things that are considered elementary teachings? Well, part of that is, the first one is found in verse one. It's the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death. Now, that whole phrase sounds like huge. Foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death. It sounds really big. And maybe in other translations, it's not quite as wordy. Um, however, if you take out some of those words, eh, it might get a little confusing as to what this is. Uh, basically, what it comes down to, I believe, is this is repentance. 
This is the repentance that you and I already recognize, that we know that you have to do as a Christian. And repentance, a, a good way of looking at it is it's a U-turn. You know, it's completely changing the way that you've been doing things up to that point. For example, when you've been a sinner and living the life of a sinner, you've been going in one direction. Well, when you repent, you literally turn and go the entirely opposite direction. Well, because of that, uh, that's what repentance is. And those acts that you were doing whenever you were a sinner, those acts lead to death. Uh, we know this uh, from so many different occasions in the scriptures. The wages of sin is death. Uh, we, we know that very well. Um, but constantly, uh, even James talks about how these things that we do, it, it leads to death. And all of these things, I mean, the first uh, fruit that they ate from, um, they were told not to eat from it because, well, if you do, you're going to die. So all along, we've been told that the acts that aren't following God, they lead to death. So we've got to repent from those acts. That's foundational. That has, has something that has got to be an elementary teaching. Um, that doesn't mean it's easy, okay? Just because this is in a list of elementary teachings doesn't make it easy. It just makes it necessary. And it makes it, uh, as connected here, a foundation, a foundational teaching. Okay, so, so what else do we have besides repentance? Okay, repentance from, from evil doing. Well, we also see faith in God. Now, I don't think I'm going to have to describe very much about faith in God to you because, let's face it, that one just kind of, you know, makes sense. Of course you have to have faith in God. And you might be thinking, well, that is very elementary. Yep, it, it is. It's an elementary teaching. But you can't skip it. You know, if you skip having faith in God and if you skip repenting from things that lead to death, where does that leave you? It doesn't leave you as a Christian. It leaves you in some messed up state. I don't even know what that would look like. But in order for you to be a Christian, in order for you to follow the way of Christ, you have to repent. You have to have faith in God. And I tell you this uh, several times, you know, those of you who, who are members of our church, you, you probably hear me say this all the time. But when you read these words in the Bible about faith or belief, keep in mind, it's the same Greek word both times. Uh, we have different words in English, depending on how it's used in a sentence. But faith and belief, it's the same stuff. So every time you come across belief, every time you come across faith, uh, it's its the same word and it's all related to it. So that that's not to try to confuse you. It's just to let you realize we're talking about a really big topic right here. Faith in God, it's big. Okay, so now this next one, uh, these next two might be something that are a, a little less of what we would consider, I guess, a foundational teaching, an elementary teaching. Verse two, it talks about instruction about cleansing rites. Now, depending on your translation, see, that's how the NIV translates it, it's cleansing rites. Uh, that's because that's what they believe it, it's talking about. And for good reason. Whenever we see this word uh, about baptism, it's not necessarily the, the uh, uh, word that's always used with baptism. It's kind of a little different. And it's connected to Jewish cleansing rites. So because this is the book of Hebrews, yeah, okay, they're likely talking about Hebrew rites. However, in the Greek here in verse 2, it is talking about baptisms. However, it doesn't say baptism. It says baptism. Um, so, you know, take that as you will. It, one thing that he could be doing is uh, the Hebrew writer might be saying that you, you have to understand that there are different baptisms. But here in Christ, of course, there is only one baptism, as what Paul says in Ephesians 4. There is one baptism in which we must all be baptized under. Um, so this instruction, it's kind of, it, it's talking about um, perhaps those Jewish 
things that were part of their their religion, you know, the different cleansing rites. Uh, they would oftentimes wash their hands before meals and do different things like that. Uh, well, you know, they needed to understand, well, where does that fit in today's world? And, and what does that mean? And Jesus himself commented on that several times. But most certainly in the Christian faith, we do have a baptism. Yes. Uh, and it is a different type of baptism than other baptisms that you might find in perhaps other religions or for other purposes. The Christian baptism, it has a very specific purpose. And it's very important that we that we teach that and that we know that. So, um, yes, that's another part of the elementary teaching. So we see the instruction about cleansing rites, and then we see the laying on of hands. Uh, unfortunately, this is one of these things that is more or less almost kind of lost to our culture. Uh, we just don't, I don't know that we really have something similar to this. You might find some individuals, some churches even, who do still practice laying on of hands and kind of, they, they bring that in and, and try to have it have meaning today. However, by and large in our culture, laying on of hands, we just don't really do this. When you look at that phrase about laying on of hands, uh, for example, look at the book of Acts, and you will see that whenever people became Christians and as they were going to be sent out um, to, to do some specific task, maybe something like that, the elders or the apostles often are the ones who do this. They would lay their hands on the people that are going to be sent away, and then they would send them out. It was kind of a way of um, blessing them and saying, you know, here, I'll, I guess, kind of like, I'll be with you in spirit, you know, that type of thing. Basically, it's even more than that, though. It's it's kind of like that you have this close connection. You were, um, you were saying, yes, I'm behind you. I'm with you. I'm fully on board with what you're doing. You need to do this. Now, you know, go and, and send this message to these people. Uh, that was one example of laying on of hands. Uh, another example, of course, that I guess I just kind of didn't mention is that when they laid their hands on people, that's how they received the Holy Spirit uh, in, in the early church, in the book of Acts. That, that's what they did. They, they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Laying on of hands is a little bit more of a generic term than just that. It includes that, but it includes more than that. Um, so, yes, those things, they are elementary teachings, and we do still need to know those things about laying out of hands, uh, about having that connection with people and sending those people off uh, with our blessings and also blessing them uh, in the name of uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Those types of things are all kind of part of laying out of hands. Uh, once again, those two, the instruction about cleansing rites, laying out of hands, those are a little different for our culture. Um, and they have a lot to do with the, the Jewish background because this, these would be Hebrews. But now these next two, of course, they are so important. And so you kind of have the, the first two that are mentioned. Um, those, yeah, we have to have those. The last two, you most certainly you know, need to understand this. And this needs to be part of our preaching, part of our teaching. Uh, these middle two, I still do say that they need to be part of our teaching. You know, obviously they're in the scriptures, they're in this list for a reason. However, they are a little different for us. So we just need to be aware of that as to how we how we handle those. And I think it's important to recognize uh, they are uh, more vague terms that can have several different meanings, of which I just kind of went into. So I'm not going to get into that again. So the last two things. Um, the second to last one is the resurrection of the dead. That's so important. We need to understand that. And I think sometimes we kind of, uh, we, we miss that at times. Sometimes we are so... Um, ready to kind of uh, go and, and 
leave this world behind that we forget what it's all about is that we are going to be raised from the dead. We're going to receive new bodies. All of creation is going to be made new. I mean, all of these things are, are talked about throughout scriptures is taking place. So the resurrection from the dead, it's so important that we understand that. Also connected with the resurrection of the dead, we see that it's not just the saved. You know, it's not just the righteous who are going to be raised from the dead. The unrighteous will also be raised from the dead, and they must give an account, just as the righteous will, for the actions that they've uh, done, which is what the last part is about, eternal judgment. Yes, there's going to be a judgment day. I mean, there, there's going to be a day in which all people will be judged. Throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament, we see a phrase about um, kind of the day of the Lord, something like that. A lot of times the New Testament is just referred to as that day or the day. And most of the time in the New Testament, it is referring to the final day of the Lord. However, so many times in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord is just talking about when God pronounces judgment upon perhaps a nation, a group of people, something like that. Or maybe sometimes even in just an individual that God is pronouncing judgment upon. But when the day of the Lord comes, he visits these people. And being visited by the Lord in this respect is not always a good thing. He, he corrects the things, the problems that are there. And since we oftentimes have problems, those days don't, we don't always fare very well in that. There will be a day in which all will be judged. Now, that doesn't need to be something that is scary. It just needs to be something that is part of our teaching and part of our understanding that God will judge us all for what we did, uh, for, you know, for what we've done in this life. And also, as, as far as it being connected with eternal judgment, uh, perhaps what that is, is talking about is the fact that the judgment sentence that's going to be carried out, it's going to be an eternal one. You know, and it, it's either going to be uh, good for us and not so good for us, depending on what we have chosen in this life. We have the option. What do we choose to do? Do we choose to turn our back on God or do we choose to follow him? And based on that decision and those decisions that we make every day of our lives now, that depends on how that judgment day will be for us. So all this foundation that's mentioned here in these verses, in verse 3, one of the things that the Hebrew writer says is, God permitting, we will do. You know, so right now he's saying, let's move beyond the elementary teaching, okay? Let's not lay this foundation of all these things, even though he lists them. It's interesting. And he says, let's not get into these, but he's going to list them. And then he says, look, if God permits us to, we will get into those, but not now. So what is he going to get into? Well, this is a little bit more of the, the the maturity that he's talking about. And these, of course, are related to those. I mean, just because you move past some of these, um, you're laying a foundation. When you lay a foundation, you build upon it. So it's not like you will leave these things behind. I mean, all of these are very important for us to still um, have within us. It's just their elementary teaching, their foundational teaching. We need to know them, we need to understand them, and we need to build upon them. We need to... to to move also beyond them uh, as well in our daily lives. And that can be uh, challenging at times, but that's what growth is about. That's what Christian maturity is about. So let's take a look at what the writer continues on now. Hebrews chapter six, verses four through eight. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age and who have fallen away, be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in rain often falling on it, 
and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed receives a blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. So just in case you're wanting to, to recognize this or, or, or realize this, I believe this is an extension of what he talked about as a foundational teaching, and that is the eternal judgment. I think this is just an expansion of that. What we see is, what does that judgment look like? What does it mean for us? And he gives a, a very, very sober warning for us. And he actually says uh, in verse four, he says that it is impossible for this person, uh, all the way into verse six, it's impossible for this person to have become a Christian and then they've fallen away. It's impossible for them to be brought back to repentance. Now, that, that seems very, that seems very weird to our teaching. It seems very foreign to us. And it also seems kind of a little bit strange from other books in the New Testament because we typically have this belief that, you know, as long as there's breath in your lungs, you can uh, repent and you can be saved. And for the most part, that that is the case. However, the type of person that he's talking about is somebody who's experienced all these great blessings of God. Somebody who has been enlightened, you know, become a Christian. Someone who's tasted this heavenly gift, who has had a part in the Holy Spirit. I mean, really dived in and become part of the church without a doubt. Who has taken from the word of God and like just soaked up the word of God and also the powers of the coming age. That type of person who is fully committed to being a Christian, if they fall away, what hope is there? It's a very sobering warning for us. And we also see that that type of person crucifies the Son of God all over again. That's mentioned in verse verse six there. And then verses seven and eight, we kind of see this little bit of a para, uh, parable um, about land and how it responds to the rain. What do we do about what God gives us? Do we accept those things? Do we soak up these things? Do we produce great things? If so, we'll be blessed of God. If not, there's a curse in the end. There is burning in the end. And that is a an image that is so oftentimes associated with uh, even the place of, of hell. Uh, the place of hell is just uh, another name, that, that term Gehenna. Um, that's the term for their city dump. And that's the image that God uses. You know, look, people have, have made themselves worthless by going a different route and not allowing themselves to be used of God and not allowing themselves to bear fruit. God wants us to, and he gives us every opportunity to. But what we do with it is entirely up to us. Um, yes, I would love to get into each one of these, you know, kind of topics about what it means about being a Christian and being enlightened, and the heavenly gift, the Holy Spirit, the word of God, and the powers of the coming age. Just recognize all of those have to do with the Christian's life, the Christian's walk. I think verse five is, is a wonderful thing of, of recognizing that we need to taste of the goodness of the word of God. And I hope that you are getting a, a healthy dose of that every day uh, during this time. But also there's something else that we as Christians have experienced. We've experienced powers of the coming age. And we don't speak like this as much, typically. We find it in our songs sometimes, and but we definitely find it in the Bible. And this gets into what the Jewish expectation was. See, the Jews were expecting 
the age of the Messiah to come in and things were going to be different. All things were going to be made right. Very similar to what we think of as kind of the end of time. That's how they associated it with the, the Messiah, you know, the Christ. However, when Jesus Christ came, that coming age looked a little different than what they were expecting. The Messianic age, the age of the Messiah, the age of the Christ. It looked different than they were expecting. That's why so many people, they rejected it because it didn't live up to their expectations. It had uh, a, a different way of looking at it. Many times people use the phrase, uh, already but not yet. So when Christ came, he made things right and we're experiencing these things already. However, they're not yet fully right. So we're experiencing some in this life, but we're not experiencing the fullness of it just yet. Uh, we will experience that in the life that is to come, whenever we are raised from the dead, whenever we have our new bodies. However, don't underestimate the fact that we as Christians are already experiencing the powers of the coming age. In this age, we're experiencing the great blessings that we one day will partake of, but we're experiencing those now. We're getting a taste of them now. And we can share those things with other people right here and right now. That's what it means to be a Christian. I mean, when's the last time that you've just kind of stopped and thought about how your, your life and the way that you were living it was going to lead to death. But praise God and thank God that he turned you around and that he allowed you to be following the way of life. I mean, that is so powerful. That is the power of the coming age in Jesus Christ that we know. This is good news. We've got to be willing to share these things with other people. Uh, let's continue on in this chapter, though, for now. Hebrews chapter 6 Verses 9 through 12. Even though we speak like this, talking about all of this stern warning that he's been giving them. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. The things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for May be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. So here's where we see uh, the blow of all this judgmental statement. It's getting softened a little bit. And the Hebrew writer is telling them, look, yes, you ought to be teachers. And yes, you should be able to move past these elementary teachings. And then he talks about how it's impossible for a Christian who's fully committed and then who turns their back on God, it's impossible for them to be restored. It's impossible for them to be brought back to repentance. However, then he comes in and he says, you know, look, we're speaking like this. We're warning you like this. Yet we expect better things in your case. We expect it to be better in your case. So I believe this right here, especially what we see in verse uh, nine, that this needs to be done whenever we correct our fellow brethren that when there are things that do need to be corrected we, we need to understand that look we expect good things we want good things we desire good things and so does god of all of us so we should have this still positive attitude even in the midst of correcting people because as verse 10 reminds us god is not unjust i'm thankful i, I kind of even was talking about this this past week. I'm so thankful that I'm not the judge because I don't know truly what's in your heart. Uh, you know, so sometimes it's hard for me to even know my own heart. 
But yet, God knows our heart. He is not unjust. He knows what we have done. He knows what we haven't done. He, he knows our intentions, and he recognizes all of those things. He loves us as dear children. That's the God that we serve. And this is wonderful that God has, has allowed us to be a part of this and that he has, has given us this opportunity to be able to, to be these people who can inherit what God has promised. That's what this, this whole passage from, uh, from 11 to and 12 is talking about. Actually, 10 to 12, I guess. All this is talking about this great encouragement that God will take care of us. God will help us, even though he's already stated that it's impossible be brought back to repentance for a Christian who's turned away. Even though he's already stated that, look, it doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to choose that way. There's a much better way. And that's the way that the Hebrew writer is calling us to follow. There's a little bit more in this chapter, though, so let's go ahead and, and uh, continue on so we can finish this out. Um, now, because it wouldn't all fit on the slide without getting really small, I really wanted these, these next two slides to be together, but here they are, so they're separated. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 15. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. So now we're getting into that promise, okay? That's what we should be able to. We should imitate those who, through this faith and patience, they inherit what's been promised. What's that promise? Well, the promise that was given to Abraham. Okay, it's a great promise. And because of his patience, he patiently uh, did wait for those and he received this promise. In a few more chapters, we're going to see Hebrews chapter 11, which is kind of known as a hall of faith um, that goes through all these different people who were holding fast to that promise. They were patiently waiting these promises of God. But there's more. There's a few more verses of this chapter. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 16 through 20. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to his heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it on an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So here as this chapter comes to an end, we see that it is impossible for God to lie. He has promised on oath and then you know, he makes this statement, look, people, they swear by somebody uh, greater than themselves. However, God, he can't swear by anybody greater than himself. You know, so everything that God says, it will come about. Um, he swears on oath, you know, it, he He is, you know, his word is. Uh, but he has promised that his word will uh, come to a reality. And it has time and time again, and it will always come to a reality. And we have this wonderful hope that's verses 18 and 19 talking about. Perhaps you know this from songs that we sing, you know, this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. That's this hope that we can have in Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful hope. And in the next chapter and 
kind of mentioned it the last couple chapters here in, in this, uh, sorry, the last couple verses here in this chapter, we see that Jesus is our high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And next week, we're going to look at that, about what it means that he's a priest uh, forever. And we're going to look at this character of Melchizedek and what he is and, and the uh, connections that, that Jesus has with him. We're going to look at all those things. But for now, let's rest assured that this hope that we have in Jesus Christ, this hope that we have in God, it is firm. It's just like an anchor for our soul. It's firm. It's secure. God's word will always come about, just as he says that it will. Let's study that word. Let's learn it. Let's share it. Let's grow in it. Thank you very much for your, your time and watching of this video. As always, if you'd like to uh, stay connected to us and get in touch in some way, here are some various ways that you can do so. So thank you very much and uh, may God bless you in your studies.